And now for an inside look at college sports with the men in the know, J.C. and Morgan. Here's Mike Morgan and J.C. Sherbert. And welcome once again to another installment of J.C. and Morgan, your favorite college football podcast. She's J.C. Sherbert of 24-7 Sports. I'm Mike Morgan of ESPN and the SEC Network. Hope everybody is doing well. Hope everybody has recovered from an insane weekend in college football, one of the craziest of all time. Uh, (laughs) JC, we've already had 40 ranked teams go down. And if I were to tell you in mid-October that Iowa and Cincinnati would be ranked ahead of Oklahoma, Alabama, Ohio State, you would have committed me to an insane asylum. Some would say I need to be there anyway, uh, but that would have just further validated it. It has been nuts. We'll take uh, we'll take a dive into this season and and take a deep dive into kind of the analogy we made last time, 2007. Uh, we'll, we'll go into the Wayback Machine and let you relive what the heck happened that year, kind of compare and contrast a little bit to uh, this year. But uh, we'll talk about that. We'll look ahead. We'll we'll see, just kind of put our finger on the pulse of now where everything is, because a lot has changed, quite frankly, uh, with the results on Saturday. JC, how are you? I'm actually doing really well, Mike. Uh, Congratulations, by the way. Uh, I said this on my other podcast, uh, Mike Morgan, uh, newly married man. And so congratulations uh, for that last week. Certainly uh, looked beautiful with all the pictures and stuff and um, wish you the best on that. But no, I'm doing good. You know, you're right about how this season's unfolded so far, right down to like at times you look and you see the teams that you think may be in trouble, like Oklahoma last week, you know, I looked at it. I was like, Texas is playing a lot better. That game is kind of unpredictable and here go the Longhorns. And then all of a sudden they finally make a change at quarterback at Oklahoma. I've never really been a rattler guy, but uh, didn't expect him to play this bad this year. And Oklahoma comes back and wins 54 to 48 in a classic big 12 type of football game which that will be an SEC game here pretty soon. But um, so even things like that, Mike, where the teams that have sort of been living dangerously, like show up, you know, I I think Ohio state probably has improved as much as anybody um, since the Oregon loss, but nobody talks about it because they've been beaten up on like Maryland and uh, Rutgers and teams like that. And nothing against Maryland or Rutgers. I think that they're better than they were, but uh, you know, Ohio state's been sort of rolling. Um, you know, I got two takeaways. And, of course, the Alabama upset loss, which was the first time in 100 games Bama has lost to an unranked opponent and the first time Nick Saban's ever lost to one of his former assistants, Jimbo Fisher. And what was shocking about that was A&M prior to that game could not score. Uh, same quarterback, backup guy, had the game of his life. Uh, and then when Alabama rallies, you know, you, you sort of think at that point, all right, well, they've survived. It's one of those games. They've taken control, and A&M with a, with a, had this one last bit of fight in them to come back, tie the game, and then win the game with a field goal. So that was unbelievable. I mean, it, and it's it's been like that. You know, you, you kind of expect the unexpected, um, even in situations where these teams that we kind of thought were going to be the best at the beginning win, um, like in the case of Oklahoma, you know, they don't necessarily go down. And so uh, 
I think that's why we love the sport. I think that's why the regular season in this sport is uh, the, the most drama filled that there is in any sport. And I like that. Uh, and I'm glad we don't have a cattywampus bowl system to uh, determine the champion like we used to. Uh, this is you know, not a playoff versus no playoff argument about the regular season, but I think it's, uh, it's just been tremendous so far uh, in terms of the unexpected and, and, you know, the teams that are playing really well and, you know, there's conferences and teams that are a mess, the <laughs> ACC. Um, I mean, Mac Brown, wh- why can't Mac Brown beat Florida state? He's <laughs> Owen. I think Owen 11, Owen 10. Lost they were 21 to, point favorites in that game. Lost to them again in Chapel Hill by double digits. Yeah. I was like, dude, Bobby Bowden, I know, probably too soon to say that. I was like, the great Florida state teams are not walking through that door. You know, Chris Winkie is not walking through that door. You know, I mean, I'm like, this is not a world beating Florida state team. You kind of like, you're kind of happy for Mike Norvell though, that he's got two wins in a row, but that league is a mess, Mike. I mean, it's just like, I guess wake forest is probably the, the best looking team right now in that league. And they survive at Syracuse in overtime. Um, you know, the, and, and there's things that just kind of don't make any sense. I mean, it, it's like, uh, and even on the positive, like I did not expect, and I guess I should quit doubting Baylor because every now Baylor's got a second year uh, head coach, you know, like Matt Rule was there, terrible in his first year, really struggled. Same with Dave Aranda last year. And then in year two, they always pick it up. They beat the snot out of West Virginia uh, this weekend, which is a surprise to me. So I, you know, there's all kinds of little surprises here and there at, at all the different levels. And, um, you know, to me, you, you look back on 07 and, and, and back in the early 2000s and 03, and, you know, it looks like we're kind of in for another one of those years. Uh, the one consistent is I have not seen a defense like Georgia's in about a decade. Uh, I, you know, there, there's sometimes you, you find these deep Oklahoma, I think in 2000 was sort of like this to a certain extent, stoops out there and stuff where a defense can dictate to an offense uh, because they're just so good. And Georgia's defense, to me, is that type. You don't see it all the time, but you, I think you see it this year. You want to use a pro analogy. Remember the Baltimore Ravens back in, when was it, 2099, when they didn't yeah. even really have – I think Trent Dilfer was their quarterback. Same time as Oklahoma's magical right year. Right there, year yeah. I mean, this is the type of defensive football team – that you just kind of go, I mean, I, I, Alabama in 1992 was like this. I mean, it, it's just kind of the defensive type of football team that, that they're good enough to where they can dictate uh, to the opponent. And uh, I've just been thoroughly impressed by them. They've been constant as the Northern star uh, in a year where there's not been a lot of consistency. And they're doing it. Oh, by the way, without JT Daniels. Um, and it's, there's going to come a point in time where somebody recognizes that Stetson Bennett is a pretty good college quarterback. Like, I get it. He's not going to the NFL. I get it. If you sat next to him in your political science class, you might try to cheat off his paper, not because you think he's a smart football player, but because he just looks like some guy who's like a really good student but never would dare play varsity sports. He doesn't look the part. I get it. It doesn't matter. He's good. He's an accurate passer. He makes all the right plays. He makes all the right throws. He can run. Uh, and and it's like we have just forgotten that Georgia's without its starting quarterback. Like We don't even talk about it anymore because it hasn't been an issue. Because Stetson Bennett, yes, they don't ask him to win the game outright for them. Because like you said, that that whole thing 
starts with the defense. That is the anchor. And then you've got great running backs. But you do have to make throws in college football, even with all that. At some point in games, you have to make key throws, and he can make them. So who knows what's what's going to be the status. They're still waiting on the return of, of Daniels. But they're okay in the meantime. They've got Kentucky, which is going to actually be the CBS 330 game. Um, well, part of a doubleheader, I guess. But uh, they've got Kentucky, and, and that all of a sudden promises to be a really intriguing matchup. But there's no reason to think that Georgia isn't going to continue to roll all the way to Atlanta. And, and when they do, then the question becomes, is Alabama going to be there on the other side? Uh, is that, in fact, a must-win game for Alabama? Could you actually have a two-loss team in the, national, in the college football playoff? I don't think so. But anything, as we've learned from this past weekend, is possible at this point, including Cincinnati. Uh, sneaking in there. There, there were a lot of, um, <laughs> there was so many good games. It was almost like sensory overload. Iowa over Penn State, they're down 21 to three. How many people were giving Iowa a shot at that point? Uh, Kirk Ferentz, who for my money gets more with less than maybe any other coach in the country over the last 20 years. That dude will never get the kind of respect uh, that, that he deserves and has earned. Uh, but Iowa is certainly a story. I mean, the Big Ten is wide open. You got Michigan keeps winning. Nobody really wants to believe in it yet, but they keep winning under Jim Harbaugh, love them or hate them. I, Ohio State looks better and better. Like they got their wake up call. They're not going anywhere. Iowa is certainly legit. Uh, nobody's going to want to play Penn State, even though they lost this game. So uh, the, the Big Ten is, is just crazy competitive right now. And then, of course, in the SEC, who knows what what's going to happen the rest of the way in the Western division. But if you say you saw A&M coming, then you are lying because there was nothing about A&M with the previous two games that would have led you to believe that the, an upset was in play at Kyle field that night. There was just nothing to let you believe that that was the case, but that is how it all shaked out. And, uh, and here we are. So, you know, I mentioned 40, Ranked teams have already lost. We've had uh, major upsets. You know, at the beginning of the year, it was all the FCS teams and Group Five upsetting Power Five, and then this week we just went for the the full out bonkers, like top teams in the country going down. So you heard us make this analogy before 2007. So JC, you know I like to take deep dives. You know I like to go in rabbit holes every now and then on this podcast. So 2007 was. Uh, the craziest year on record before this season. And we'll see that, you know, there's still a lot to go in this season. We're only about halfway through, but 2007, I think most people will remember two things. LSU won the national championship and Tim Tebow won the Heisman trophy. I think for a lot of fans, especially sec fans, those two things will stick out. Now you might remember that it was crazier than just that though. Uh, you, you had a ton of, of upsets it was later just known as the year of the upset to put it in perspective in 2007 an unranked or lower ranked opponent defeated a higher ranked team 59 times 59 times teams ranked in the top five of the ap poll were defeated by unranked opponents 13 times that's a, that was a new record i believe it is still a record 
uh, in the AP, AP poll era, in the AP poll since uh, 20 teams were ranked. So you had, again, 13 times a top five team lost to an unranked opponent. This, this year, that year, all the, all the, uh, by the way, got started with the major FCS upset, Appalachian State defeating Michigan. That's the other thing everybody remembers, right? The Michigan Wolverines! Uh, <laughs> the, the guy who called that game, by the way, for App State, he's no longer doing their games, but what a, what a moment for him. But the curse of number two, hear me out on this. All this happened for number two teams' losses. Number two, Southern Cal. They lose 24-23 to Stanford. These are all teams losing. Uh, number two is defeated seven times in the final nine weeks of the regular season. Number two, Cal. Remember when Cal was relevant? Number two, Cal lost to Oregon State. Number two, South Florida. That's right. South Florida under Jim Levitt was ranked number two in America in October of 2007. They lose to Rutgers. Number two, Boston College. This has got to be Matt Ryan, right? It's got to be Matty Ice team. They lose to Florida State. Number two, Oregon. They lose to Arizona. When was the last time Arizona had a, a major upset? Uh, number two, Kansas losing to number four, Missouri. The fact that both those teams, I, I, want, you to, I want you to digest that. There was a top five matchup between Missouri and Kansas on November the 24th, 2007. Uh, that took place, by the way, in Arrowhead Stadium. And number two, West Virginia goes down to Pitt 13 to nine on December the 1st, the backyard brawl. Then you have just, you know, the madness. LSU that year lost two games in triple overtime, one to Kentucky, one to Arkansas. Uh, it, before they finally won the national title. And I was talking about this with a few of our listeners at my wedding. And because uh, you know how that goes, the women, they congregate and they talk about women's stuff and guys eventually, especially it's going to, it's going to revert to college football. And before people say, well, Mike, really a college football wedding. It was on a Tuesday. It was on a Tuesday. So nobody missed anything. Nobody missed a single bit. Um, but we start talking about it. We're, I, I do this a lot, JC. You ever just have like a little bit of a block in your brain? Uh, 2003, 2007, I remember LSU won both of them, but I, I sometimes confuse the two years. Which one was Matty Flynn? Which one was Matty Mock? To this day, I, I can't tell you. I don't know if I'll ever figure that out. Uh, and the other one is one of those years was a split title, and the other one was not. Well, this was not. This was just LSU, a two-loss LSU team winning it in the era of, of the BCS 2003 was the split title. You had everybody thought Oklahoma was the best team in like the history of college football, right? Well, they eventually fall. And so in 2003, remember the BCS, the one good thing about that miserable system, the bane of my existence for 20 years was that they told us one would play two and we'd never have another split title. Well, guess what happened? We had a split title. We had a split title in, uh, in 2003, because you had the BCS title game, LSU knocks off Oklahoma. Well, Southern Cal is playing Michigan in the Rose Bowl, and so Southern Cal wins, so you have a split title in 03. But back to 07, that was the maddening year. That was just like all craziness, anything goes, expect the unexpected, and here we are, what, 14 years later, and we're having some of those same things. Yeah, in 07, I remember that. And there's so much that happened, uh, Mike. Uh, 
first of all, uh, it was the first year for Nick Saban in Alabama. And if you remember correctly, probably something that doesn't get mentioned about that wild year is Louisiana Monroe came in and, um, I think their mascot was still the Indians at the time and not the Skyhawks yet, but they, uh, they beat, uh, Saban in his first year at Bama at home. Uh, I think on a, at a low scoring game and he compared it to nine 11 and that was kind of a too soon comment. Ooh, uh, forgot about and, that. And then of course the next year they opened with Clemson and away they go. Uh, Maddie ice at Boston college was outstanding, but yeah, I mean that year you had, uh, you know, Rud- South Florida ranked number two. You had Rutgers relevant with Shiano. You mentioned the Arizona upset over Oregon. Uh, the Missouri-Kansas game was unreal uh, as far as that goes. That's a, a top Jay- five matchup. Dude, the they Jay- were top five. Was, Mangino. Mangino. Mangino was the coach there, and uh, they were really good. That's the last time they were even close to good. Cal beating, um, you know, losing to Oregon State. And then that's – that Stanford loss, right? That was kind of the first time I thought this Jim Harbaugh guy can coach. Right. Uh, a friend of mine that worked with me at, at rivals.com back during that time period, he played football at the university of San Diego. And sometimes people confuse that with San Diego state, which is a pretty good football program, right? right. The Aztecs. These are not the Aztecs. These are the Toreros, right? <laughs> and University of San Diego is a hard school to get in. It's academics. And they were, they've been awful at football prior to Harbaugh coming. Harbaugh takes that job, right? Wow, University of San Diego. I, I bet the, the, the living situation is awesome. And he wins and takes them to the playoffs. Okay, so then he gets Stanford, all right? A little bit bigger test. Stanford was in the gutter at that point. They were awful. Uh, they had athletes on that team that probably couldn't have played anywhere else. And so they go to the Coliseum, right? And they beat Pete Carroll in Southern Cal <laughs> by a point, as you mentioned. And that to me, that was like, whoa, because there was just no way that Stanford team should have been on the field with that Southern Cal team. And uh, that was kind of the beginning of the – the rivalry, if you will, between Harbaugh and, and Pete Carroll, because he not only won the game, he talked smack afterward. Uh, and that was kind of the rise of Stanford. So remember the point you know, spread on that game? It was like 30 something, wasn't it? Or 35? 41. 21. Jeez. Stanford was a 41 point underdog. Man. And Jim, Jim Harbaugh took over from Walt Harris, as you mentioned. They Walt were a dumpster Harris. fire. Walt Harris went six and 17 in two years. Before that, Buddy Tevens Buddy went Tevens. 10 and 23. And, and so Stanford is, like you said, I mean, they were, they were just, they were below the abyss. Uh, and Harbaugh did an outstanding coaching job there. There's no question. Unbelievable. And he got them there, and they started recruiting. And, you know, that's why this year I'm kind of glad to see him winning again. I think, uh, you know, he's kind of taken a little bit of a hit uh, since he's been back at his alma mater. But, yeah, that was an unbelievable – and then that LSU team that year, Mike, I remember I saw them play. Uh, and here's how I keep Matty Flynn and Matty Malt kind of uh, – I guess uh, different is that uh, LSU that year had a, in, in 07 had a quarterback named Ryan Paraloo. Oh yeah. If you remember Ryan Paraloo, uh, five-star talent, probably two stars every other way, but uh, they would bring Paraloo in. And I think they had that little guy trending holiday too. And they would like 
run some kind of like zone read with him and they put uh, Flynn on the bench or whatever. Uh, and that was part of their offense. So I kind of remember that. I also will never forget Matt Mock in 2001. Uh, Tennessee could have – Philip Fulmer could have been playing for his second national championship had they just won this game because they had just beaten Florida. Because uh, the Florida game that year was at the end of the year. And Nick Saban had a quarterback named Rohan Davey who got hurt in the first half, I think, against uh, Tennessee in the SEC championship game. And Mock came in and they pulled the upset 31-20. And I'll never forget that because that year, Florida should have been playing Miami for the national title. They lost to Tennessee late and ended up going to the Orange Bowl. And that was Spurrier's last year and was a great Florida team. Tennessee then gets in line. They lose to LSU, who's eight and four. So no SEC team. And they ended up taking a mediocre Nebraska team that got thumped by the team, the last Miami team that was any good. So that was kind of that's how I remember that. But you're you're right, and of course one was Nick Saban, one was Les Miles. But there, there's always so much talent at LSU. Um, you know, even if they do move on from Orgeron this year, you know, the next guy probably, if statistics show, because the last three coaches have won one, the, the next guy will probably win one at LSU at some point. But that that year was just so crazy. And then think about this, Mike. Do you think that had Rich Rodriguez won in the backyard brawl, which that was a weird game, West Virginia could score against anybody that season. And for some reason, they lose to Pitt 13 to 9. To 9. 9 points at home. At home. Uh, and I, I think, wasn't it Juan Stash? The, the Stash that was yeah, the head coach at Pitt? Day, Juan Stash, you know? It was the Stash. And, um, and just a demoralizing loss. And Rich Rod takes the Michigan job because you remember Lloyd Carr ended up getting fired. Um, Rich Rod takes the Michigan job the next year. Do you think he would have if he's sitting on a national championship at West Virginia? I don't know. I can't say that because he turned down Alabama before that. Alabama. Well, the, the talk was right that he's a Michigan guy, right? Yeah. What was that? That you know that was back when we. That's that's how we all expected hires to go. Yeah. Like the reason why Alabama waited so long to go all in on a Nick Saban because they were hiring Alabama guys like Mike yeah. Shula and Mike DeBose, guys that know <laughs> Alabama football. Yeah. Uh, and look, every, every, every fan base goes through that where you just, the, the idea of having quote unquote, one of your own become your head coach is so titillating oh, that yeah. you just, you can't see the forest from the trees. Like <laughs> what you really want I, I, you don't care where he went to school as long as he's winning championships, but you say, well, he's one of ours. So yeah. So they got rich rod and it couldn't have gone much worse. No, that was awful. And anything had wed West Virginia and it was Ohio state who they were going to play for the national title. Had they played it and won it or even played it? Maybe he doesn't take the Michigan job and stays and, and who knows. And then, you know, you know, who won the Heisman that year in 07, Tim Tebow. He was a sophomore at Florida on a four-loss Gators team that didn't win anything and lost to that Michigan team that lost to App State in the Citrus Bowl. Because I remember I was traveling to Disney to the Under Armour All-American game that year, uh, New Year's Day 08, and um, just doing some work. And I remember getting in my rental car, turning on the Citrus Bowl broadcast where they had just lost Urban Meyer, of course, losing his mind you know he's just you, you can just almost feel the 
the blood pressure coming out of the radio. And he's like, we got to get back and do this, which is to be the new England Patriots of college football. And for the next two years, they were until they ran into Alabama the second time. But that was just such a weird year too. Cause here's Tim Tebow on a four loss team, winning the national title. He played two more years, didn't win it again. Um, and that Michigan team that, got beat by App State and then turned around and lost to Oregon 39 to seven in the week two actually turned it around and won nine games. I mean, you don't think about that. And that was Lloyd Carr's right. last year, but uh, look, man, that was, that was a wild, wild season. Oh, three was a wild season with a split title. I always thought it should have been Southern Cal and LSU instead of Oklahoma uh, in a lot of ways, but uh, you know, maybe not. I, I don't uh, Oklahoma, I think had one loss too. They all had one loss and there was some controversy, but you know, just like in Oh four, the next year, uh, I thought Auburn would have probably given Southern Cal a little bit better game than that Oklahoma team did uh, in the 55-19 Matt Leinert uh, destruction of Oklahoma at the Orange Bowl. But, um, you know, lots of uh, lots of debate and stuff back then. And certainly when you look at this list of schools that were ranked in the top five that season, uh, it's unbelievable. It's nuts. I think Oklahoma actually had two losses that year. Uh, I think uh, I think they were 11-2 and two heading into that game. Uh, before they wound up uh, wound up losing. Just to clean up something, I said I was cute, confusing my coaches, much, much like I was confusing 0703 that particular night after a few uh, a few cocktails. Uh, Les Miles was the Michigan guy who everybody thought was going to leave LSU for Michigan, not Rich Rod. Rich Rod went to Michigan, but technically, I mean, not technically, he wasn't a Michigan guy. He just happened to go after what Take he thought was a was a better job. And, and, and look, most people would tell you Michigan is a better job or at least an easier job uh, to win at. They have infinite resources. And you look at where West Virginia is now versus where Michigan is now. I, I could never argue with that. The, the one that's just, it's the, if I'm Rich Rodriguez and I got to admit, I was, I was, when he was, he had a one year stint as the offensive coordinator at Ole Miss. This is the final year of Matt Luke. And we're sitting there in the coach's room and we, we talk to each head coach, each head coach and each coordinator. And he's in there. And all I'm thinking as he's talking is, does this guy wake up every morning and say to himself, how did I not take the Alabama job? <laughs> I mean, seriously, like, how do I not take, because his career has just been uh, ever since that move, it's been a downward spiral. Uh, yeah. Or just stay at West Virginia. You're from West Virginia. A lot of, but a lot, in fairness, a lot of coaches are from West Virginia. Well, yeah. Including yeah. Look, Nick Saban, Jimbo Fisher. They're all from West Virginia. They're but, all uh, from West Virginia. It's like maybe, the other cradle of coaches. You're there, Don. I, I guess he followed Don Nealon, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you've brought that program back. I, You know, he probably turned down Bama Mike because at the time, Bama was hiring these guys like Shula, DeBose, and it's just like nobody was being patient down there, and he's probably like, well, I'm at home. I've got Pat White coming back. I've got whoever the – I forget who the running back was, maybe Slayton on the – Steve Slayton, that's, somebody like that on that, that team. That sounds right. And Pat White was a hell of a college I am – yeah, I have got, you know, I got the Big E schedule. You know, I can run through that and, and maybe make a national championship game at West Virginia – you know, and, and so it was the timing of it, you know, and it's funny you brought up the Les Miles thing, too, because remember, 2007 SEC championship game, it's the last time Tennessee made it 
to the SEC championship game. And they, they, it was that the division that year, you know, Florida had some losses they shouldn't have. Um, I don't know how good Georgia actually ended up being the best team in that division, but they had lost to Tennessee. They lost the tiebreaker. So Tennessee goes and Kirk Herbstreet breaks the news. Les Miles is going to Michigan. This is before they got to Rich Rod. Now this is that same weekend that Rich Rod loses to Pitt. Um, it was on game day that day. And so, so Les has to go, has to go out there, you know, and address this. And, uh, in per before the sec championship game in a classic, let less fast. He's like, I love the university of Michigan. I hope we win the game every year against Ohio, but I'm not going there. <laughs> and he had to, because he's on the mix for the national championship. And you're like, Oh man. Steve Spurrier would have been in the mix for that LSU job had it come open. And I'm inclined to believe he would have thought about that a lot harder than he thought about Alabama or Miami when he was at South Carolina, because LSU is a different kind of animal. And that would have been scary for everybody had Spurrier gone there. But, uh, you know, it turns out less stays. Rich Rodriguez goes to Michigan for two or three years, gets replaced by Brady Hope. Um. And and then goes to Arizona, which is a dead end situation in a lot of ways. Wins a division title, then gets run off from there. He's got the one year at Ole Miss, and then that doesn't happen. Now he's at Louisiana Monroe with his buddy uh, Terry Bowden. But uh, Rich Rodriguez could have still been the coach at West Virginia. Is my point. I mean, you know, and I, I, I with a national championship, had they not lost that game to Pitt, and and that's just, it was just the dangest thing ever, Mike. Was the best offense in college football that year by a lot of measurables uh, at West Virginia, and they lose thirteen to nine at home. I'm trying How to does think. That even could could you name my only guess? And I'd have to look this up. It, it, it would have been around that time. Could you name one player on the Pitt defense? And I want to say Daryl Revis. Uh, Aaron Donald was was not there yet. I don't believe. I'm just trying to think like who who was the leader of that. Pit defense that finally uh, stopped. See, th- again, this is the rabbit holes we go down uh, because you just can't help yourself. It's just it's it's fun to go back in time mm. and start looking at this stuff. I mean, they I were like, they were five and seven. Uh, they weren't year. good at all. They weren't good. Paul Rhodes of NFL fame was the defensive coordinator. Uh, eventual um, head coach at Iowa State. Eventual Paul head Rhodes. coach at Iowa. That's right. Eventual head coach at Iowa State. Uh, you know, and it's just like, all right, so they had no Jeffrey Ota. Okay. Well, he was, well, a, he was an, that's offensive an offensive tackle, lineman. Offensive tackle. Played for the Carolina Panthers. Bernard Cox was the only draft drafted player off that defense. So Revis wasn't on there. No, Obviously, Revis Aaron Donald was not, wasn't on there. So basically, that answers maybe my question. He, he may have been there. I'm looking at draft picks for that season. So maybe he was there. I'm, I don't see a roster or anything. But, okay. Um, well, even if he was, he <laughs> still did. It was a five and seven, four. They were four and seven going into that game. Nobody in North America could name more than one player on that pit defense, uh, unless you went to pit at that specific time and you were a huge pit football fan. And even then, you might have to scratch your head. Uh, but that's what we love about college football. Long story short, to to circle back to twenty twenty one, this has all the makings of that kind of year. This has all the makings of that kind of year. Now, that doesn't mean that like 
Georgia's going to lose to Georgia Tech or something crazy. Again, we had great teams that wound up being great at the end of the year and playing uh, for the championship. What it means is that nobody is safe. Like, what it means is that that trend of, of upsets and craziness, it just seems to have one of those years. And again, I go to, it's funny, everybody hates polls, hates polls, but then uh, after a weekend like this past Saturday, People can't wait to look at the fresh new eight people because it's going to be that just that it's going to be fresh, right? Okay. Georgia, number one, that's not so fresh. Iowa, number two, Iowa, Cincinnati, number three. That's kind of like the 2007 version of USF in, in some ways, Oklahoma, number four, Alabama tumbles to number five, Ohio state, Penn state, Michigan back to relevance at number eight. Oregon nine, Michigan state. What a story that has been. They've been led by a wake forest transfer running back and Kenneth Walker. They're number 10. Kentucky is number 11. Oklahoma state is 12. Ole miss without Eli Manning is 13. And then you go 15 is coastal Carolina. 16 is wake. 17 is Arkansas. 18 is Arizona state. I mean, you get the idea. SMU Without Eric Dickerson, without Craig James, they're 23. San Diego State's 24. It's chaotic. The continual chaos of 2021 is on full display. So love it or hate it. I think most fans love it. I think this is what I heard. I saw and heard a lot of this on Twitter and just kind of, you know, throwaway lines from announcers. Boy, this is why you love college football. Well, yeah, duh. I mean, we all kind of knew that, right? Like it, we, we've, we've always loved college football and, and this is usually part of the anatomy of college football. Now there has been way too much predictability at the top every year in the playoff. And that surely seems to change somewhat this year. Uh, but <laughs> even those, you know, even those who uh, consistently, vomited all their their political hatred toward everything that was playing college football last year and told you why it shouldn't be played and it's a bad idea and just portrayed the average college football fam as, as an ignoramus that should be on Beverly Hillbillies. You know who you are. Um, they now are saying things like, man, I love college football. So, yes, okay, we love college football. Uh, for many of us, this is not a new love. Like this is this has been deep rooted for a long, long time, and it continues to be good. Oh, by the way, Braves just won. Congratulations! They're now up two to one uh, over the Milwaukee Brewers as we record this. What are some other things that stood out to you, JC? That that's kind of the that's the macro. You got some micro thoughts? And in three, well, let me get out. Let me have a mic uh, unmuted there. there uh, you know, that saves some background noise. But yeah, congrats to the Braves too. Up two to one now. It'll give me maybe at least an NLCS to watch. <laughs> That's my thing. Like the teams I care about, I want them to win, so I, I can be, I can remain interested. Because I'm just there. Not, you go. I'm not going to sit there and watch the Dodgers and the Red Sox or anything. Um, so uh, my, my micro thoughts, I mean, you look at it. Okay. So what, so what the, you look at all these different places, what's wrong with Clemson? Well, I, I think Clemson has offensive line issues. I think that they've got less diversity. And when I say diversity, I mean like they've got a lot of the same types of receivers. They're super talented guys, but they need kind of the, they're missing the Hunter Renfro or the Cornell Powell types. 
in their offense. They, you know, they started being able to run the ball against BC a little bit. They got decent backs, but they got offensive line issues. And you talk to folks around that program, and, and nobody's upset with Dabo, but you kind of hear them start to whisper that they want him to embrace the transfer portal. Uh, Clemson's one of the best programs in the country the last five, seven years. They have a hard and fast policy against taking transfers. Uh, their admissions department, it's not as, it's not easy to get transfers in there from what I've historically been told. I think Dabo could probably get anything he wanted, though. Uh, but it's just not part of, like, what he wants, his vision. He's always been kind of old school like that. It takes some crap from a lot of people for it. Um, but you have to think, Clemson would not have their issues if they maybe gone and taken a tackle or a guard or an inside receiver or, you know, maybe an edge rush. I mean, yeah, there, there, there's needs every year that – some of these teams are going to start to maximize with through the transfer portal, you know, look at Alabama and some of the guys they got out of the portal that filled immediate needs. Nick Saban's really good at that. Ohio state's the same way. Um, that said, I think that, um, you know, I, I think that there's different issues at different places like North Carolina. I think people just looked and saw that they'd recruited in the top 10 or top 15 and just assume that no matter who they lost, they were going to keep right on going. And that just has not been the case. I am stunned. They lost to Florida state. I am stunned. Mac Brown has the record he does against his alma mater. It's unbelievable. I mean, he can't beat them. He, I mean, even when they're at their lowest Florida state tends to win that game for some reason, disappointed in the PAC 12, you know, Oregon, the injuries are starting to pile up for Mario Cristobal's team. Disappointing they were able Stanford was able to beat them. I mean, you know, I know upsets happen, but I'm disappointed for that league, Mike, because that that's been the problem out there. Is that it's not a bad league top to bottom. In fact, I think a bunch of the teams in the Pac-12 would wipe the floor with a bunch of the teams in the ACC. They just haven't had a dominant team, so people, you know, they're irrelevant. Now, I'm not saying it's the close to the Big Ten or the SEC or any of those other leagues like that, but. Once again, you know, you have this inexplicable upset just because you have a lot of parity out there. So I don't know. You know, you look at the Big 12, you know, Baylor is once again a surprise. You mentioned Oklahoma State. Is this is this the year that everybody in the Big 12 sort of says, you know, kind of like uh, what, what year was it, that 2011 when Oklahoma State won it and trying to get in the national championship? Is this a year where Oklahoma State, you know, a, a, a poster of – uh, consistency, a model of consistency, if you will, Mike Gundy's program. Is this the year that everybody just screws it up and Oklahoma State goes undefeated and wins the Big 12 and gets to the playoff? <laughs> is this that? It is that type of year. You know, Cincinnati, I had a chance to watch them against Notre Dame and watched them again against Temple on last Friday night. Um, you know, Temple's not all that good, but uh, I tell you, it's, um, it, it's one of those things where you look at it, uh, they're impressive. And the win at Indiana, the win at Notre Dame, plus the, you know, the American conference is better than a lot of the other group of fives. Um, can't believe I'm saying this. I think they, if they go undefeated, they have a lot better resume than that Notre Dame team did uh, a couple of years ago. The one that got smoked by Clemson in the cotton bowl uh, in terms of quality wins. Uh, that Notre Dame team beat a lot of brands, but like Florida state was five and seven, Virginia tech barely made a bowl. Uh, Southern Cal was five and seven. I mean, you, you just look at it and they really didn't beat anybody, but Michigan that year and they got in. So I think in the sense of fairness and you look at kind of the committee, Cincinnati is, is, is in, if they just went out, I mean, there's no question. 
Um, you know, so those little things I look at, you know, I, I think there's some teams around the country that are playing good ball, uh, you know, that maybe don't get a lot of notice. Bronco Mendenhall at Virginia, I mean, they took an L when you saw them, uh, mm-hmm. but then they've rallied, got a big win against Miami. Uh, who'd they beat this? Well, they beat somebody by one point this week. I don't remember. It was a good win, though, <laughs> from what I from what I recall, um, you know, and, and, and things like that. So I, I, I think you kind of look at, you know, small things. And, and, you know, and look, for those that love points, and there are many of you, the Ole Miss-Arkansas game this past weekend, which it shouldn't be a surprise, Ole Miss and Arkansas play classic games in the 100s because this happened before. If you look it up, one time they went to like, how many overtimes in Oxford, Arkansas, and Ole Miss? Uh, Arkansas knocked Ole Miss out of the SEC West a couple of years ago on like a fourth and 12 when Belima was there. It's a really good series. Um, but 52-51, you kind of look at that and you're like, man, this guy's they've done a really good job to be in their second year at those two schools uh, and a good rebound for Ole Miss in that game. The LSU situation, I think, it has come to a head and, and I look at it and you guys know, I, I uh, cover South Carolina and I look at it and I'm like, okay, you had Joe Brady there in 2019. He goes to the Panthers last year was not an ideal year for offense at LSU or whatever, blah, blah, blah. They go back to the Panthers and they hire two of his assistants to come run the, the offense. South Carolina did the same thing. So three guys to two schools in the SEC to run offense Neither one of those teams can run the football worth a damn. Uh, the, the offenses are terrible. I mean, and I started thinking about it, and I was like, well, you know. And then Kentucky hired a guy from the NFL, too. And they're like, you know, they started off the season throwing it all around, and then they've they've, they've started going back to what they used to do. You know, well, we're going to run it with Rodriguez and Kavosky Smoke and play defense. Um, Will Levis did have a good game against LSU. And so you kind of look at it and, and, you know, the Joe Brady hire for all that it was, and I think he's doing a fantastic job with the Panthers because he's a pro guy and all that. You start thinking about that offensive system and you're like, well, Joe Burrow is not walking through that door. <laughs> you know, those receivers is, you know, are not walking through the door as much talent as LSU has. Those guys aren't walking through the door, and you start thinking about that year and how how they kind of were passed to set up the run, and they had the little back uh, Edward Tolaire who would dart up in there. They threw it to the tight end. Burrow would run, uh, and that's what made that offense so dangerous. And so you just kind of start to question, like, without overwhelming talent, does this thing even work, or do these guys just not know how to do it? That kind of thing. So, you know, I think that's a problem at LSU. I think in general – there's a big issue off the field that, that's hanging over them and then credibility that kind of gets into you, uh, into your program when you have those types of things. And when you're losing, it gets compounded. And, you know, you remember uh, speaking of Brady's, you remember John Brady at LSU, Mike, uh, going to the final four. I think his name is John Brady, right? Yeah, that's right. Going to the Final Four. Yeah, 2006, I believe, was his off, final four year. Off the field issues, and he was fired by 08. And kind of the same thing. Local guy from Louisiana, good recruiter, good guy. Everybody's happy that he got it. Stro- I think, wasn't that the Stromile Swift team? Stromile Swift, big, big Baby Davis. Yeah. I, I think the the football analogy that, that people have made, and, and I – 
some of it I like, some of it I disagree with, but the Gene Chizik one, because Gene Chizik wins a national title with a can't-miss quarterback, Cam Newton, number one overall pick in the draft, and that was in 2010. Two years later, 2012, Gene Chizik's fired. Two years ago, Ed Orgeron has uh, a, a, you know, a stud for a quarterback, number one overall pick, pick in Joe Burrow. And two years later, he is very much on the hot seat. Now, I was there earlier in the year. Um, Coach O was in great spirits. He is extremely likable. Uh, Johnson, the quarterback, I think could be a pro. Uh, Butte, who's now out for the year, which is devastating news, their best offensive and defensive player is out for the year. It's almost like fate is just not on your side right now if you're at Orgeron, but there, there's talent on that team. Look, I've heard Kirk Herbstreet, Tom, Tom Luganville, and others flat out question the heart of some of those players. I typically don't like to do that uh, because I don't know what's inside of each and every one of them. But when you sit down and, or if you just you watch LSU up close and you you see those athletes in a room, and heck, you you know about recruiting JC. It's not like their recruiting fell off a cliff after they won the national title. Like they've got talent, they've got athletes. Um, how they can't run the football is, I have no idea. I just don't know. And again, everything falls on Ed Orgeron, but because he's the head coach. But it's like, you know. It doesn't take a genius to call up to dial up 30 run plays, which he doesn't do anyway. Um, there, there's just something there that's off. And that's something there that's off could very well cause a coaching change uh, in the middle of the season. And it's, it's surreal to me to think that because <laughs> look, you and I went back and forth on this hire in the first place. Okay. A, I didn't think it would happen. You were right. B, I didn't think it would work. Um, and I was wrong on that when he won a national title, but I knew enough about his time at Ole Miss. And I just, I, I just, everything that I looked at, I was saying, I don't think it's going to work. Well, he won the national title for crying out loud. He won the best seasons in college football history. So I figure I got to eat a big old piece of crow and I'm glad to do it because I like the guy. I, I want to see Ed Orgeron around because he's entertaining, but Clearly, everything since then has been a downward trajectory. And even if you give last year the uh, the convenient COVID pass, uh, I don't know if that's going to be enough for LSU fans. And as you uh, astutely pointed out, unlike most programs that have to really think long and hard about doing something like this, because if you do it and you're wrong, and the next guy and the next guy and the next guy don't win a national title, you will never live that down. Well, LSU's already done it. <laughs> and then they wound up winning a national title. And when they lost Nick Saban to the NFL, they wound up winning a national title with Les Miles. So, so in LSU's mind, it's an interchangeable position, right? Because LSU is going to be championship level uh, no matter who they bring in there, just just don't screw it up. I think that's the way a lot of LSU fans look at it. So, yeah, it's it's going to be a very tenuous situation the rest of the way. Yeah, and, and you look at the LSU athletic director, right? And so if I'm an LSU fan, 
you know, sometimes you have these ADs, Mike, and you and I have had this discussion about ADs. ADs are, you know, they basically hire who's out there, whatever. You know, they're not they're not magic workers. A lot of them don't really even know what a good hire is. I mean, right. but, but I'll say this about Scott Woodward. Number one, Scott Woodward is an LSU grad. He's home. Number two, look at this hiring list, okay? So he hired Sark at Washington. Sark was doing a pretty good job building it from the doldrums and then went to LA, went to uh, SC. And so then he goes and hires Chris Peterson. A lot of people during that time period, Mike, didn't think Chris Peterson would leave Boise for a lot of reasons, right? So then he goes to Texas A&M, unlimited resources, Aggie land, right? A&M just got finished building a new football stadium, or half of it, you know, nice stadium in the country out there. And uh, someone gets fired or whatever, and so then he goes and hires Jimbo Fisher, the $75 million man, now a $90 million man. He wasn't done. A little sport of college basketball, uh, their guy gets fired. He goes out and hires Buzz Williams from Virginia Tech, who I think, honest to God, was one of the best coaches in the country. If you look at what he did at Marquette and then in the ACC at Virginia Tech, you know, you couldn't really – and a Texas native on top of that, which is important out there. He goes and hires them. So then he goes to LSU because that's his uh, – that's the dream job. They haven't had any openings. You know, they had a baseball opening, and he ended up hiring – who was it? Who was it? Who, who got the LSU baseball job this year? Um, oh. Anyway. Uh, Gosh, it was somebody. You 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 just threw me a uh, Jay Johnson from Arizona curveball. Jay Johnson yes. from Arizona, right? Uh, I was thinking uh, Schlossnagel, but Schlossnagel got A and M, the the TCU guy. Um, so Jay Johnson from Arizona, right national championship winning baseball coach, uh, and then women's basketball. <clears throat> and for those of you that don't know Kim Mulkey in women's basketball. It's it's this it's it's similar to making a hire like if when Rick Patino was at Louisville. Uh she's that level of coach in women's basketball. Been at Baylor the whole time, Louisiana native. He brings her home. There is a long all right, so so there's a long track record of this guy, Woodward, going out and making like on paper and 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 look, most of them have worked out. It's not like Jimbo's losing at AM or Buzz. I think Buzz Williams will get the ship right in basketball. Chris Peterson was a success at Washington, took him to the playoff. But he is, he is a big-time track record of going and hiring the biggest name possible. And so my question becomes, if they move on from Orgeron, who that is? Who is it? Who's out there that he's going to go get? I don't, I don't know that there's just like a guy that you circle. But I think that a lot of these coaches that are not in play for a lot of jobs – will be in play for LSU because of who the AD is, his proven ability to go recruit um, coaches, quality coaches that you don't think would take the job. And then you look at it, Mike, last three coaches that have been there have won national championships. So they, <laughs> it is kind of a plug and play gig. Well, and that's not to take anything away uh, from your AD there, but I mean, he's had two plum jobs with, unlimited resources in, in summers. Now I realize LSU uh, hit some financial issues. That's part of the reason why that the last guy got, uh, got escorted out. Um, 
But for the most part, you're talking about two programs that have incredible resources, incredible history, uh, incredible uh, allure, where, as I always make the analogy, it's ADs don't get the best hire because, you know, they schmooze them over at at the local steakhouse with a great speech. The, the coaches are smart enough to know which jobs are good for them, regardless of who the AD is. So, yeah, he, he's going to be able – I mean, even with Southern Cal being open, I, I think LSU is a more attractive job. I think LSU is one of those jobs where, yeah, the, the pressure is on, and that's always the, the flip side, is that you can be fired two years after winning a national championship at LSU uh, because – they they just that's just the way it is there uh that's the way it is at alabama for whoever falls nick saban but they're going to be able to cast a pretty uh wide net in terms of people that they want and they're all going to take a look at it at bare minimum you kick the tires on lsu uh and most of them will, will really be hard pressed to say no to that if in fact the job is offered so yeah i mean that's again Nothing is is nothing has happened yet, but you just wonder. You see the injuries piling up. You see, uh, and then then it becomes a a shark effect. I mean, Coach O, who's not going to be accused of being the most media savvy guy in the world in the first place. The moment he says something like, "I was surprised that uh, they were able to run the ball that well at Kentucky," I, I mean, we know what he meant. But the fans who want him gone, they're going to say, he didn't even know Kentucky was good running the football. Like, that's just when, – when people want you gone, they're just sitting there and, and they're looking for any reason you can possibly give them to add to their case that you should be gone. And that's what it's going to be like for the next six, seven weeks in Baton Rouge. Um, so I don't like to see that happen to anybody, but that's just the – the reality of the situation. Yeah. And O doesn't do it. You know, he's going to, he's still going to be himself. And I mean, like the caller on his college show, and by the way, I want to say something like, and I know you've been part of this. Uh, when are we going to get to the point where you start just realizing we live in a society where, <laughs> you know, know you're, you're not going to get punched in the face You because I mean, you, because of social media and stuff. So everybody's this brave because they're not getting punched in the face for saying things. When are we going to start screening the calls a little more on these call-in shows? I mean, let me tell you, I'm glad you brought that up Yeah, because you're right. I've hosted many of those uh, in, in football, basketball, and even to a lesser extent, baseball. There's only so much you can do. Everyone I've been a part of, and I know, I know a lot of the radio guys, the voices of various schools throughout the SEC and beyond. You have somebody that does screen the calls. But if you, J.C. Sherbert, want to crank call Ed Orgeron and, and, and lead him into a punchline oh, without him God. knowing it, uh, for those of you that have seen that clip on YouTube or Twitter or wherever else, the, the, the call screener is not going to know that because you're not going to say, hey, I'm J.C. and I'm drunk and I'm ready to with this guy really have it. Can I get through? That's the call that gets screened. But if you keep your composure and say, yeah, this is uh, JC in Denham Springs. Just had a, a question for the coach about the offense. Yeah, You're going right through, baby. And once you get on, 
you, anything goes. And believe you me, I've hosted a number of those where something is said that either A is inappropriate. Now, the inappropriate stuff's easy. You'd almost rather have the guy start dropping F-bombs because you know what you can do? You hit that little button, that little dump button, and it never goes over the air. The only people that hear it are you, the host, the coach, he's going to hear it, and the people on hold, they'll hear it because they're hearing everything live time. Other than that, it never goes over the air. But if you just cra- carefully and get crafty with it, and I've had guys that do this, they're, they're, they're smarter than the call screener in this respect. They just get through with a very innocuous beginning, and they're very calm. And then, um, and could you tell me why you uh, haven't been fired yet since you know, you, you, you've lost nine out of ten? You clearly have no idea what you're doing. Like That stuff doesn't get dumped. That's out there. And in the case of the Coach O one, again, the caller never said anything obscene. Right. He, he started referencing, say, say, happy birthday to a blonde girl in the fifth row. It's her birthday. You know, anyway. Uh, so why do them at all? Because I saw somebody tweet that, too, in a day and age of eight million dollar coaches, because it's built into the media contract. That eight million dollars, a significant part of that is radio and TV responsibilities. Mm-hmm. And they expect you to do it. And the fans expect you to be a stand-up guy and take their questions after a tough loss. So while the coaches hate it and they don't want to do it, as long as they're getting paid to do it, they're going to do it. And you are you are on occasion going to have moments like that. And I don't care how good your call screener is, uh, some of that stuff is going to get through. Yeah, I mean it, it is. It's just in the you know, it's just. I don't know because there's also these poor guys that call and then they're like, Hey man. And you're like, yeah, how you doing uh, Bubba or Charlie or whatever? Oh, good to hear from you coach. How are you? That's, that's your first five seconds right there. Almost. And you're call. like, you're 20. You're like, geez, just say, yeah. I think maybe they need to leave, leave like a, like a call line. I mean, of course, if they have an answer, she says, leave your question or comments from coach. I feel sorry for the person like after a loss that has to go through those things. And, and, and if, if it ever got out and leaked, yeah. Oh my God. Oh, but, yeah. um, and so maybe that's not the right move either. I just think it gets at this point, it gets embarrassing. You know, I mean, maybe we need to do, I don't know, but that was, uh, Hey, at least they're getting paid. Okay. I, mean, I got paid. A couple- threatened to, he, he threatened to kill somebody. I mean, it was like, <laughs> Like, we mean, got a fishing hole in Louisiana for people like that. What we do with guys like you? We got a little fishing hole down on the bayou. And yeah. you're like, oh, you know, yeah. and you're like, oh man. And you know, yeah. I'm surprised. Hey, it makes people. for good radio. Look, I, you know, if you get the great, coach you know, ready like, to threaten the lister, you know, you got some good radio. I mean, I used to get paid a couple hundred bucks. You know, these guys are getting paid millions, a couple yeah. hundred bucks to, to do post game shows. Oh my God. Yeah. After a tough loss. And you're taking live phone calls at midnight, and they've been drinking since noon. You want to talk about st- getting that dump button ready? Holy! Oh, the, I remember those post game shots. Oh my I goodness! To you on some of those, they're like woo, especially a night game. Maybe oh. against if South Carolina was playing Clemson or something. Oh like man! I mean, and it was it didn't go well, and if fire everybody now. If we only had the written transcripts on some of those calls, that that's I, a best-selling I just, novel. I could just hear some LSU fan writing his memoirs or something, you know. All my years of LSU, 
And it's like, and then before we went to Kentucky and lost by three touchdowns, O threatened to kill a guy on the calling show. <laughs> after all that, after the pictures of the blondes, after all this, I mean, I, you know, I got $9 million now. I don't care. Don't it, it, it's crazy. I, I'll I'm tell a you what. or drunk guy, and I, it breaks my heart to see it. I am too. I, I, I mean, don't like either, I just, yeah, I don't think either one of us were exactly right about that hire, but there was some truth to what we both said. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I again, I thought it had the disaster to just be an absolute debacle. Uh, and maybe if this continues the way it's going, maybe that's maybe that'll be part of the legacy. But uh, look, you can't. He, the dude won a national title. The guy recruited. They got athletes. I would question the desire of some of those athletes, quite frankly. Um, but in the end, this is why college coaches make so much money. You are the CEO, the buck on everything stops with you. And so there you have it. Uh, one other thing I just got to mention on the Oklahoma, Texas game, which was phenomenal. Caleb Williams has to be your starter the rest of the way. I don't care if Spencer Radler was a Heisman trophy candidate at the beginning of the year. He's clearly the better quarterback. Uh, and much was made about Coach Riley wouldn't let him be interviewed afterward. And, and, and then, like, I saw somebody on Twitter that, JC, I really have to question some of the people who cover this sport for a living. And I don't know, th- these are people I don't even know, but they, they, they have a blue check and they write for, you know, somebody out there. And I'm not just talking to like, you know, uh, ragtag.com. I'm talking like Yahoo or USA Today. Uh, some of these are quote unquote credible outlets, but the guy's like, well, clearly you can't deny the young man's uh, opportunity to speak with, with NIL on the line. That, that just cost him thousands of dollars. Like, come on, dude. Like he's trying to protect Spencer Radler, his other student athlete, uh, and, and not just, not just go ahead and, and kind of rock the boat anymore than it needs to be. I promise you, Caleb Williams, if he keeps playing the way he's playing, the NIL deals will come. He's not, you know, he's not part of a victim society. He's not on a plantation and all the other nonsense you hear from the people who apparently hate the sport, but somehow cover the sport. Um, but with all that being said, Caleb Williams has got to be your guy. I don't know how you would not start him at this point. Uh, he was terrific. Zach Calzada. Holy smokes. Like, I was not expecting Zach Calzada <laughs> to have a coming out party against Alabama, but he did. Who that does? kid was, I mean, he was, he was a badass. He was absolutely phenomenal in that game. And I, we all kind of wondered once uh, Haynes went down, Haynes King for, for the Aggies, you know, where, where would they turn? Well, Calzada appears to be the guy like he's he's got enough there and then and then you got a guy like Hendon Hooker like what is Tennessee doing what is Tennessee doing how is Tennessee doing this well I'll say one thing about Tennessee on the how part and I'm sure uh those Gamecock fans were thinking it's the same thing how is Tennessee doing this how are they ahead of where we are Mm. well because Jeremy Pruitt might go down as one of the worst SEC hires in the last 20 years as a coach, as just a pure leader of men, organized, ready for the big time coach. But you cannot deny the fact that Jeremy Pruitt 
as a hell of a recruiter. And when he was there, he brought in some talent. And when he was there, he brought in some transfers. And despite all the attrition and despite having a really thin team, I mean, this is a team that's already doing it with smoke and mirrors. If they start having injuries, they're really going to be thin, but, but they do have some talent. They, because Jeremy, if they did one thing right, is that he brought in some. So if you're going to hire a miserable coach, this is like Ron Zook at Florida. He helped set up the Urban Meyer era. When Urban took over that job, there was talent there. There was absolute talent because although Ron Zook couldn't couldn't coach his way out of a paper bag, he did know how to bring in players. Well, whoever was going to follow Jeremy Pruitt, and who knows when the dust settles with all the other stuff going on there, how it's going to look. But he did bring in some players. Josh Heupel, I give him credit because this is not the Josh Heupel that ran the Missouri offense with Drew Locke who threw 48 touchdown passes. This is not the Josh Heupel who threw it all over the place at UCF. This Josh Heupel is saying, well, I don't have that kind of setup, but we're just going to run smash mouth and try to beat teams that way. And for the most part, it's working. I'll say this about Tennessee and Josh Heupel. Um, very impressed with what they're doing. Never have been a Josh Heupel guy, and I'll admit it, and I'll own it. And if he ends up winning there big, I'll uh, I'll sing Rocky Top uh, with butter spread all over my body and no shirt on. Hey now, um, now let's give it four years, right? <laughs> but uh, what they're doing now, Mike. Number one, I thought he made a mistake with Milton versus Hooker. I, I, I thought. When I've watched Hooker play at Virginia Tech over the years, he's very smooth, a smooth operator, not a burner running the ball, but athletic enough to get you there. He's 6'3", 6'4", athletic enough, very accurate thrower, like very accurate passer. Milton has a better arm, maybe a little bigger and a little better runner, but extremely erratic passing the ball. And if you watch Tennessee early on with Milton, you kind of said, eh, this is how they're going to start out. You can't go three and out in that offense because your defense is going to get gassed and they don't have a lot of depth. Like you said, the genius of it is they've been starting. They've started fast against everybody. Florida started fast against Pitt started fast against Carolina, Missouri, Bowling Green, Tennessee tech. And they're doing it, you know, with, with a guy that's a very solid passer with, you know, guys like Valus Jones who came in from Southern Cal uh, at receiver. And, uh, and then, Tyon Evans, uh, I'll tell you a story about him. You know, I get a call from my buddy, uh, gosh, two years ago. He lives. He lived in Myrtle Beach at the time, talent evaluator. Some of you probably know who he is, but I won't say his name. He's like, man, you got to check out the running back from Hartsville, South Carolina. I was like, well, who is this? And it's Tyon Evans. And you looked at the film and you're like, holy moly, this guy's amazingly good. And so didn't have the grades, went to JUCO, and ended up at Tennessee somehow under Pruitt. And sometimes those guys that come from JUCO that are really good, they, they, they show up to Division One and they're like, well, you know, he's JUCO, whatever. But this kid is legit. He's a, he's a stockier, shorter back with elite speed. So he can run off and leave you. But he's also going to push the pile because he's got like tree trunk legs and he's a powerful, powerful lower-based runner. And in that system, he's just running crazy. And they go so fast. You know, if you look at the trends with offenses, Mike, and I mentioned how Kentucky and South Carolina and Vandy to a certain extent, LSU, they they hired from the NFL. And I thought that was interesting because I was like, well, NFL has been kind of innovative lately. 
I tend to not like pro style offenses for the college level. But whereas a few years back where you had tempo everywhere in the SEC, you don't see it like that unless you see it at LSU. I mean, sorry, gosh, back up. Ole Miss, not LSU, sometimes Arkansas. And then, and then you got uh, the situation at Tennessee. And what Heupel did was, but somewhere between, started kind of at the end of Missouri, somewhere between Missouri and now. And if you keep in mind, the OC in title that he had at, at UCF was a guy named Jeff Levy. Jeff Levy is Art Bryles' uh, son-in-law. If you start noticing what he did at UCF and now what he's doing at, at, at Tennessee, he is much more like an Art Bryles kind of guy than maybe he was with more of just a traditional spread air raid kind of system. And the beauty of the Art Brile system is this. I think this system and Dan Mullen's system at Florida, if you're just a run-of-the-mill SEC team, not like Georgia or Bama that can run anything they want or LSU, you know, these are the kind of systems that work. You know, I, I saw Baylor when Bryles was there play uh, North Carolina in a bowl game. I guess this was like 2015. Um, it was the bowl, whatever that bowl is called, the Tangerine Bowl, the other Orlando Bowl. Baylor didn't have a quarterback. They, their starter was out. Another guy had left early. So they started a wide receiver, a cornerback, Mike, and they ran for 482 yards and just beat the crud out of North Carolina. And that's the beauty of this system is you think Josh Heupel, oh, he's got to have four receivers and a great quarterback and all this. Guys are, no, they don't. That's the beauty of, the, of, of what's going on at Ole Miss right now. Because, yes, Lane Kiffin has, is one of the best play callers and offensive coaches out there, but then you got Jeff Levy there with the Bryles influence, and, of course, Kendall worked for Kiffin at, at FAU, and it's just become this monster. And, and, and that's kind of what i got to give credit for, to Heupel for is that he's, he, he, is, he has evolved, and the great ones do. If you're going to be great, you got to – I'm not saying he's great right now because um, I have not been – in favor of the high of, of, of Heupel over the years. Right. But I have to give him credit with what he's doing his offense, watching them against Florida. And even the last two weeks with as fast as they go and as dangerous as it, as it is clicking on all cylinders, because what you can do when you're not a deep team, it doesn't matter what happens in the second half. If you're up 38 to seven at halftime, you know, the other team can make a little comeback, but they're dead in the water. And that's what he's doing. I think this weekend's game, Vols and Ole Miss, you're going to see a lot of the influence that Art Bryles has on college football, even still today, even though he's been out of coaching, uh, with the way those two teams play offense. And, and I'm beyond impressed with both of them. South Carolina, by the way, will, will get right at home against uh, the hapless uh, Commodores. And, yeah, yeah. Art Bryles, for, for all for the – all the, uh, mess yeah. that was left behind and the way it went down and, and, and so on and so forth. Art Riles did one of the best coaching jobs in America with what he built in Waco. And now Aranda's doing a, a great job there now, but um, yeah. And of course, uh, Art's son doing good things as well as, yeah. as an OC. And, and if you're a Texas tech red Raiders fan out there, you know, he went to school, he's a Texas tech alum. You know, you're probably just sitting there going, man, you know, we, we, we hired Bobby Knight here and he had some off the court things. <laughs> you know, why don't we, uh, why don't we get old Art a call? Um, and I hear from through the grapevine that very well could happen. Uh, and if you're Texas tech, I think you just, you know, take whatever criticism you get from the national media and go with it because, you know, that just kind of see, he seems to be like the type of coach that needs to be there uh, in terms of what makes them successful when they have been. 
All right, we turn it forward, uh, look ahead a little bit here. I was just intrigued by some of these uh, these lines on the the profile games in the SEC. Alabama, Mississippi State, that might not have been profile a while ago, but I think people are starting to take – like a hot take a few weeks ago was Mike Leach will never work in the SEC and he doesn't run. and blah, blah, blah. They're playing good football. Like Mississippi State is doing just fine under Mike Leach. They are – that line opened up at 21. They're now down to a 17-point underdog in Starkville. Kentucky, Georgia is kind of the marquee game, but Georgia is a 24-point favorite against the Wildcats. That surprises me a little bit. That number seems high to me. I don't know. It's just because Kentucky's style of play. And, and look, I think last year, what was the score of that game? 14 to three. And two years earlier, it was 21 nothing. Georgia's won. Uh, and I think Georgia will win this weekend because I think Kentucky's going to have problems scoring. But I'm telling you, Kentucky's got a really good offensive line. They got two good backs. Their quarterback can run. They got that going against LSU. How much can Georgia get up week after week? Huge home game with Arkansas. Big road test at Auburn. That's a rivalry. You got Kentucky coming in, no matter how good Kentucky is, they're one of those teams that can get you caught in a web and in a fourth quarter game. Do I think it's going to happen? No. I personally think Georgia's probably going to uh, hold the Wildcats to zero to three points, Just and it's nothing against Kentucky because I think they're – this is another year they could win nine or ten games legitimately. Um and, you know, with the win over Florida already, they, they probably got the inside track to be in second in the East. But I just think Georgia's defense is so crazy good um, that they're dictating to opponents. So, you know, even if you're Kentucky and you're like, we got this great plan or whatever, it's going to be awfully difficult to get those backs going. And then I'm not sold that Levis is a – I think he's a good quarterback. I think their passing game is better, but I'm not sold that he's a guy that can, you know, lead you – down the field, up and down the field, if Rodriguez and, and uh, Smoke and those guys aren't getting their yards. Yeah, I, I guess I'm betting on Wandale Robinson to just make a just a couple Wandale Robinson-type plays. And if mm-hmm. he does that, then Kentucky, you know, gets on the board. And, and Kentucky's defense, if they keep playing the way they're playing, I, I would expect that to be a closer game. But, hey, uh, I'm not taking that to Vegas. Florida opened up as a three-and-a-half-point favorite against LSU and Baton Rouge. This is the rematch of the, the sneaker game a year ago. Uh, that line is up to 11 in some places. Well, just at 12. Okay, there you go. I mean, some injury, people just – Injury report came out. Well, yeah, the Boutte, yeah, the Boutte. Um, heck, it might go up to 14 by the time <laughs> we're, uh, we're done here. Uh, Ole Miss, Tennessee, you mentioned Ole Miss, a three-point favorite on the road. That's an intriguing game. That's a night game. And then Auburn, Arkansas, uh, Arkansas, three and a half point favorite against the, uh, the Auburn Tigers. So those are some of the uh, bigger games in the Southeastern conference. It's not a, I wouldn't say it's a banner slate of games nationally. I think that the, you know, the, the smoke from this past Saturday will simmer a little bit. But we've, it, we've got we've got some good ones here and there. It's interesting. It's it's what I'd call an interesting Saturday because you know, like Auburn, right? All right, so huge win at LSU, which you know, I think we know that now that LSU has serious problems, but they they still hadn't won down there since '99. I mean, that's a huge win for that program. You come back, you get beat. Okay, so so 
Georgia's beating you and Penn State's beating you. That's two top 15. I don't know what Penn State's ranked this week. Good Lord. If they had, if their quarterback hadn't gotten hurt against Iowa, they would have probably won. But remind me to say something about Iowa in a second, too. But, um, you know, Arkansas, 17th in the country. Uh, the Hogs have lost two in a row now. 37, they got shut out, and then they lost in a shootout by one point at Ole Miss. So it's weird to say that Arkansas being at home against Auburn is a get-better game for Arkansas, but it is. Because they lose that, Mike, all of a sudden you're four and three, one and three in the league. Auburn beats you again. You're, you know, and, and kind of it's like, ah, you're probably out of the top 25. Nice story. All right, let's move on, you know. Um, so I think, I think if Arkansas wants to keep its momentum, it's a big one. Florida and LSU, the visiting team, is you, historically in this series, has been good at times. Um, we know what happened last year with the stupid shoe thing. You know, can LSU get off the mat? I just don't think so. I, I just I think it's going to get uglier and uglier and uglier with especially with players out. Texas A and M and Missouri. All right, so here we go. You got this uh, huge win, right? And Missouri has been good, awful. They cannot stop the run to set. North Texas ran it up and down the field against them. But you kind of sit there and think, well, what if A and M can't score again? <laughs> right. You know, can, we talked about Kentucky, Georgia, and Vandy, and South Carolina. If South Carolina can't score, it could be closer than people think. Uh, and then you mentioned Bama and, and, and Mike Leach, the pirate. Uh, and I'm telling you, you're, you're right. He's doing just fine, man. I mean, in, as good as their offense is at times with what he does, because uh, you'll look at the stats and, and they'll have like 500 yards passing and they will have rushed for like negative nine yards and he just does not give a flip <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. and, and he wins but he, their defense is really good too well, that's the thing and zach arnett mm-hmm. i remember I, I, I talked about this all the way back in the spring because i i did a deep dive on him doing their uh spring game uh zach arnett is exactly what a guy like mike leach needs yes like mike leach doesn't think about defense he, he that's in zach we trust and zach has got a plan he's a rising star and they've got just enough talent to make things difficult for opposing offenses. Uh, this game comes at a, this game comes at a bad time for Mississippi State because this is one of those. If Alabama handled their business last week, this is one of those where I could just see, hmm, maybe the Pirate. This is his one landmark upset for 2021. But mm-hmm. Alabama's not losing two in a row. <laughs> no chance <laughs> in hell. So you catch them at the wrong time. Uh, but I, I'm not in the camp that, well, uh, Mike Leach can never work. People forget what Mississippi state was under Dan Mullen. Dan Mullen did a phenomenal job. Uh, but if you take away Dak Prescott, who's a sure first round uh, talent, even though he didn't go in the first round of the NFL draft, Dan Mullen was a a good year was winning seven or eight and winning the egg bowl. And I think that's what Mike Leach is going to do at Mississippi state when he has it going. So it's not like Mike Leach has been this abject failure mm-hmm. in a year and a half in Starkville. No, no way. But, well, but some people just resent Mike Leach the way he the way he coaches. Uh, it's totally they don't like his personality. Yeah, I mean they just so they can't wait. Like their narrative's already written. They can't wait to just hop on every loss. I told you it'll never work in the SEC. Well, give it a little time. It's a bunch of personal crap with him, I think, and I think he's great for college football. He's funny. He's intelligent. He's a breath of fresh air these days, you know, and 
I, you know, I bet what they wish in Starkville is if you'd have flipped Bama and LSU, like, yeah, that the loss to Memphis was tough, right? They had some bad calls that Memphis mm-hmm. probably shouldn't have been in the game, whatever, you know, so you lose that one after a two and zero start that included a near miss against La Tech. And then LSU beats you by a field goal at home. Well, then you go to A&M and you get a Titanic win out there for the program. You almost wish you're playing LSU this week with them oh, missing yeah. a bunch of players rather than no that doubt. week. And, and you take your L to Bama after the Memphis thing. But, you know, after Bama, they got at Vandy. Kentucky has to come to Starkville. Then they go to Arkansas and Auburn at Tennessee State and then Ole Miss at the end of the year. They could easily get back to a bowl game. I didn't. I thought last year what happened to them was they had KJ Costello, right? Who I kind of questioned, Mike, and I said this before that even though even when I picked the upset, even when I picked them to beat LSU in the opener, I kind of questioned KJ. Costello. I was like, he's a big six five. He comes from Stanford, Stanford style pocket passer. Those guys don't aren't aren't Mike Leach style quarterbacks. Mike Leach's guys he's like six foot six three, quick release, dink dunk accurate guys, boom, 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 that make quick decisions. Those really aren't the Costa. So Costello, after the LSU game, starts throwing picks all over the field. <laughs> and then it took them a while to get back to the freshman Will Rogers. And if you notice last year, once they went with Rogers, they went from being awful on offense and not being able to score to going on the road to Georgia and playing them within seven points in Athens. And, you know, and then they almost beat Ole Miss and then they took advantage they were one of the few teams that played in the bowl game. I sat here on New Year's Eve and watched them against Tulsa, and they won. Uh, you know, I thought, you know, hey, these guys got a shot because he's got his quarterback uh, and he's got it going. I mean, you know, is Mike Leach going to win, you know, 12 games, 11 games a year and turn Mississippi State into an SEC West contender annually? No. But can he do what Dan Mullen does there? did there? Can he do what he did at Texas Tech, which is when they cycle up, they're a contender, you know, but then when they cycle back, they're still going to win six to eight games and go to a bowl? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I don't I don't think that's unachievable for Leach um, as we move forward. As we move forward and uh, bid fair adieu here in a second, I uh, do want to mention again our uh, good friends over there, at Ameris Bank and specifically Stuart Wingo. Stuart Wingo helping thousands, literally thousands of people across the Southeast with their mortgages, new mortgages, refis, a lot of construction loans going on out there, jumbo loans going on out there with all the craziness in the real estate market, craziness in the mortgage rate market as well. And you want somebody who's going to take the time to explain all the different options, your best option, your best interest at heart, Bottom line, the guy saves you money, but it's more than just that. It, it When I give you this number, it's his cell number. He truly cares about his customers. He wants to keep you a customer for life, as he has with me and so many people that I know. The phone number, simple to remember, but never hurts to write it down. 803-319-1777. That's 803-319-1777. Stuart Wingo of Ameris Bank, let him take care of you for all your mortgage needs. JC, some final thoughts, if any. Um, yeah, just looking forward to another weekend of college football, and uh, we'll see how this season ends up going. Did want to mention because I was going to say something about Iowa. I had a chance to watch Iowa a little against Penn State. Watched a lot of their game against Maryland the previous Friday night. Mike, I know you had Wake. I know you talked to their coaches in the meeting, but and they talked about how having older players this year because of the COVID year has helped them. Mm-hmm. 
I don't know that it's helped anybody any more than Iowa. Those are a bunch of grown men. You watch it. No, look at next time you see Iowa, how physically big and tough and fast and, and athletic and old they are. They're old, dude. It's like, you know, it's, it's like uh, Happy Gilmore. He's like, he's he's old and, you know, he's old or whatever. Um, and he's, they're old, man. And uh, that's, that. they kind of remind me of one of those uh, throwback old, dare I say, old Nebraska teams from the 90s because they're just big and physical and will mash you. And if you make mistakes against them, it's over. I mean, they are disciplined. Uh, you mentioned Kirk Ferentz earlier and, and how great of a job he's done at Iowa. I, I, this is, again, this is a program that cycles between six to seven to like nine, 10, 11 wins. This could be that one magic year where kind of like, I guess Washington did a few years ago under Chris Peterson. They make the playoff. Uh, unlike that year, though, it's a little more wide open once you get to the playoff. Uh, and so if you're a Hawkeye fan out there, I think you're really, really excited. And I think the older player thing, just like you mentioned with Wake Forest, I think it's really benefiting uh, a program like Iowa right now when you just look at them physically. I'm going to mention a name just to piggyback off that. And, and I know he's a household name in those parts and probably for Big Ten fans, Phil Parker. Phil Parker is the defensive coordinator there. He was the defensive backs coach for 13 years. He's in his 10th year now as a defensive coordinator. They have 16 interceptions, 20 takeaways. Is it a fluke? Uh, in 2017, they led the nation with 21 interceptions. Let's be honest. You watch an Iowa football game and you look at the guys out there playing defense for Iowa and you think, well, they don't look very fast. They don't look very imposing. Uh, and yet they're constantly making plays. That dude can coach. <laughs> I never hear his name mentioned. Like it, it, it doesn't, it, there's a lot of coordinators that get a lot of love out there. Mm -hmm. I, I don't hear a whole lot of Phil Parker. So there we go. I just mentioned Phil Parker. Yeah, you Phil Parker is a name probably de probably definitely worth mentioning. Uh grizzled veteran uh in Iowa City. You know, I, I was telling somebody you just don't want I was actually kind of joking when, when they were talking about Iowa and Iowa State. And Iowa State, of course, was the team with the hype in the preseason. And yeah, you know, they, they were just uh, you know, and no, it wasn't that. It was it was another another game. They're playing. I was like, you just don't walk into Kinnick Stadium and expect to win. And you really don't. <laughs> and uh you know this is just one of those years and uh you're probably gonna hear more and more about them mike and i, I don't know that i was a complete believer i was like well iowa beats iowa state every year well you know blah 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 so i watched him against maryland and and i'm like you know there was a blackout in college park and maryland's undefeated and this iowa just beat the tar out of them dude they beat them like just awful and um and my, I, and you looked at their players, and you were like, "Well, Maryland's got some athletes, but uh, they're not even close physically to what Iowa is." And then I just, uh, you know, I've just been extremely impressed with them this year. It's not the most exciting brand of football, uh, but uh, if you long for the '90s Nebraska teams and those big teams, you know, you probably want to check out the Hawkeyes. Well, and, and again, like, how many Iowa defensive backs go in the first round? <sighs> And yet they lead the nation in interceptions in 2017. Mm -hmm. They're second in the nation in interceptions in 2018. They're number one in the in the nation in interceptions in 2021. Like 
that's coaching, man. Like there, yeah. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's some serious coaching going on. They're an NFL pipeline for offensive linemen and tight ends, basically. And, and right. They, they put a lot of those guys in because they come into, like they come into the other non-Chicago part of Illinois. If you're not in Chicago and Illinois, Illinois is basically like Iowa or Indiana. It's nothing but cornfields. And so they have a, people want to know why the Illini aren't good. This is one reason why, because they come down downstate and they find these big hulking farm guys from there and from in-state and Iowa and from Missouri, you know, the surrounding areas. Uh, and then they get for some, I don't know how they go get the tight ends they do, but they do. And then they get, they're good at going and getting talent and evaluating. Um, and, and you just would not think who lead, who's the, who's been leading the country in interceptions. You think Alabama or somebody like that with all the talent they have knows the good old Hawkeyes. And, you know, and, and that's what they do. They turn you over, they beat you up, they bloody your nose, and they find a way to win. And, and a, a, a team like that in the playoff, in our era, Mike, uh, if they get there, to me, it's extremely intriguing to see to see that style yeah. uh, match up against some of these other teams. So and they constantly get turnovers, playing a short field on offense. Uh, most people can't name two people on their defense or three people on their offense in any given year. Uh, but you know, again, this, that, that's coaching <laughs> and how weird is it that last year it's Iowa state this year, it's Iowa. I mean, for a state of how many million people mm-hmm. like the, the, they're, they're producing some, some memorable seasons over there in uh, corn country. All right. We are completely smack dab out of time, but the good news is we'll be back with you next week. JC have a great rest of the week. Great weekend. The new do is looking sharp. Oh, aerodynamic yeah. just shaved it all off <laughs> and uh and i know we'll be talking about your uh, wedding here pretty soon oh no he didn't oh, oh that's pressure that's oh. pressure right there Uh-oh. that's all right she's not listening to this podcast anyway. yeah, I think <laughs> all right man we'll, we'll talk to you and uh see you later i made my man blush so long everybody see you next week